Yeah, they're when we take a verse, and I always tell people this, and I'm going to keep saying this, two things here. <clears throat> Number one, we have to stop reading the Bible, and we have to start studying the Bible. Number yeah. two, never read a Bible verse. Because what happens when you read, do not judge, so that you will not be judged, you take that and you create a theology out of it. And yet, you don't have to go very far. This is one of the passages you don't have to go very far to understand, like, what does it mean? It's right there, right? Uh, yep. What Jesus is trying to do is... Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Think With Me uh, podcast under the Christian Think Tank podcast and we'll be doing another topic and I'm happy to be having Kyle again, ang nagbabalik. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am back. Last time I had Gabriel. I have returned. <laughs> the resurrection whatsoever. <laughs> last time I had Gabriel and we had fun discussing through Malakai 310. And uh, this session will be another exciting session just because we look, we'll, we'll be looking uh, at another very interesting passage that I guess still uh, one of the most uh, misinterpreted passage in uh, the Bible. Both, and this is interesting because most, inter uh, most misinterpreted passage by not just Christians, but also by the non-believers. Although we sometimes cannot blame, you know, the unbelievers by misunderstanding it, because there are some Christians who, you know, behave something, and so the unbelievers perceive it to be something. Why are they doing this? But anyway, we'll be looking into that later. And just for now, I want to welcome Kyle once again, and bro, just give us maybe any life update. <laughs> How are you well, doing? Maybe I'll, you have been so maybe, busy. Maybe I'll. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I'll skip on the life updates because I'm really curious. Well, I've always been curious about this passage, but and about this idea of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, we haven't even introduced it, but the title is yeah. there, so people kind of know what we're talking about here. We're going to talk right. about judgment, and uh, yeah, so I guess this coincides with maybe just a little bit of what happened this past week, right? We, mm. uh, we held a youth discipleship conference that we call MOVE. And it's big. It's a it's a big conference where a bunch of young people come. And one of the the sort of themes, actually it was the theme, but it it came out in multiple pieces, was to be grounded. Mm -hmm. And uh, their tagline I didn't like too much, so I'm not going to quote it here. And I told them this. This isn't unknown to people. But the idea in the tagline is that there's this concept in culture, and there's this concept among people that's not new by any means, but it comes out in a new way. Mm -hmm that we shouldn't be judgmental. We shouldn't be uh, casting any opinion on anything. We shouldn't be determining whether, and I'm using these words very uh, specifically, we'll get to this later, but we shouldn't be making a determination on whether one thing is good and another thing is not, or whether one thing is right and another thing is wrong. Now, the reason I tie these two together, right, as a life update, mm. was I gave a workshop at this conference and one yeah. of the things that I noticed talking to a lot of young people 
and sort of still being at the tail end of this young people generation, yeah, I'm going to make myself feel better here, right? I'm on the tail end, so I'm a little bit older, but I'm still part of this millennial Gen Z generation, right? Is that I kind of get it. Like, I, I kind of get where people are coming from when they say things like, uh, do not, well, they usually say don't judge, but what's really being communicated is don't be judgmental. Don't be mm -hmm. someone who comes off as if you're creating distance between you and other people. Because mm, yes. the reality is we have two, we have sort of two frames of reference. I'll put that out there. There's one set of people who basically appear like they know everything, right? There's another set of people who uh, are confused about everything. Those who are confused about everything, they ask a lot of questions and they often get in trouble a lot. They often get judged by the other group of people who claims to know everything. So sort of seeing, you know, a bunch of young people and talking to them in different contexts during this conference, uh, in one hand, you know, I always want to be like, well, that's wrong, 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 wrong. This is right. This is true. That's not true. That's false. But listening to them and being able to dig a little bit below the surface of the words, this will also be important for later, mm -hmm. helps us to realize that this topic uh, may be one of the most important for the Bible. That's what this show's about. It's about the Bible. Right. But it also may be one of the most important just for talking to younger people today because uh, we're yes. all in this world where judgment has become such a a dirty word, it's become a dark word, and I can't blame people. And we'll get to more examples maybe later, but yeah, so my, I've been busy, but that was one of the things that's been happening recently, was seeing how this ties in, and it really does tie in to what's going on in the real world, yeah. I think that's an important thing to talk about. So that's me, man. Um, just happy to hear all those things, bro. I mean, and with, with what you're doing there, um, with you doing it, the Lord will give you strength. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like sometimes, like Peter, you know, Jesus comes up to Peter. All of his disciples had just ran away, like, "Hey, we're out of here!" And Jesus looks to Peter and he's like, "Hey, uh, are you gonna leave too?" And Peter's like, okay, "Listen, dude, where am I gonna go? <laughs> like, who, who else has the words to eternal life?" Like, there's nowhere else I can go. So regardless of if God gives me strength, he doesn't promise to, uh, where else am I going to go? What else am I going to do? This is where God put me. So strength or not, I keep moving. That's it. All right. That's spirit. Anyway, yeah, th thanks, bro. Um, just uh, before we dive into the topic, I just want to give a recap of the previous episode we did with Zuriel. That was something fun that we did. And... Um, I'm sure for those who have heard that maybe uh, you have found some kind of probably controversial views there, but just like we said, we are willing to like converse with you, just PM us, and um, we can discuss things. Um, what, what we looked into was Malachi 3.10, and it read, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and, put, and pour down, for you a blessing until there is no more need so in the course of our discussion with Zuriel we found out that the context of this verse is actually God calling the Israelites to repent because they have been very hard very unfaithful very rebellious in fact if you look if you read the book of Malachi they have been very 
like this is uh hard on god like if god would say i have loved you how have you loved us you have despised me how have we despised you uh yeah things like that and they were even asking god where is the god of justice evil men are prospering they test you they challenge you but they are able to escape so things like that and so god was telling them hey uh turn to me turn to me and when they asked how can we turn to you can we rob you can we rob god <laughs> and god told them here is one of the ways that you can turn back to me bring the full tithe because uh they were it was a difficult life they were under persian empire um they were still trying to establish their nation once again but they are giving their taxes to to persia they are being collected and land was not producing well so they had very little uh but in in their different difficult situation they were not being faithful to god you know with their with their covenant and, and obeying the law so that made their situation even harder so they had they were not bringing their the healthy animals they were being the the sick ones and the priests were part of it because they tolerated that you know they just allowed them the, the israelites to do that and so that's that's like that's like the whole story there were divorces intermarriages and <clears throat> because of the difficult life that could that would have been one of the reasons why they were not giving the full tithe so they were challenged by god to hey bring it back so the whole message is really it's you know as how uh, in contrast to how this passage is read about and it's always preached like give so that you will be blessed you will be blessed no in contrast with that this is actually about the whole life of a person of the israelites his faithfulness to god you know with uh, their covenant their agreement as israelites and giving was just one of giving their tithes was just one of the things that they had to you know uh be doing again as they return to god so that's and then yeah. it's important the, to clarify it, just one thing with that even though this isn't our episode today uh <clears throat> you know this this verse in malachi 3 particularly verse 10 and 11 is what often gets used by people right um right. i like what you said that god is inviting them to return that's yeah. an important okay. piece of the context that god wants them to come back home now remember right the idea of a tithe isn't that god needs something from you so therefore you give it to him right that's not yes. the idea the reason why God wants you to bring your first, quote, fruits, right, or even the the tithe, the tenth, is because he wants you to come into his presence. If you have no motivation to do that, you won't have a relationship with God. The idea of the tithe is that God's inviting you into a relationship to come near to him, right? So he's saying, hey, come home, right? This is Malachi. You guys are, I understand that. And then, you can, like you said, there's clearly a distance between them and the true God, because of all the things that they're saying, right? You can see this distance. So God is saying, come back home. Well, what's the best way you could get close to God? Enter into the temple and bring your tithe, or enter into the holy place and bring with you your offering. Do you know what happens there? Usually if they give food, you know what happens to the food? They eat it together as a feast. Yes. They yes. offer it, right? And then it's, you know, it says a burnt offering. Okay, let's just put this in modern language. They cook the food. It's like for God, right? And God says, okay, yeah. now have a feast in my presence. This is why there are feasts all over the Jewish Old Testament and even into the New. And I think this invitation, I know you're going to go somewhere mm -hmm. with this, but I want to tie it in to what we're mm -hmm. talking about today. This idea of invitation, 
of God saying, hey, you know, come back, return to me, actually fits really well with the idea of judgment. Because right. judgment is actually an invitation. It's an invitation yeah. uh, from God to enter into a particular type of relationship, right? It's a, it's yeah. a, think about this. When it comes to judgment, the only way you could have judging is if there's a relationship. Because what are you judging yeah. that may either be offended or be constructively progressed or helped? A person, right? So you have this idea of a relational connection, and uh, I think as we'll see as we go a little bit deeper into this, there is a invitation. Just like God mm -hmm. invited the Israelites to return and said, hey, if you're going to get close to me, remember, come into my presence, give your offering, let's have a feast together, right? Let's eat together. There's also something mm -hmm. else Jesus invites us into in the New Testament. And judgment is actually one of those invitations. So I know we'll go further into that, but I just wanted to make it clear that it's not just a thing you do. Rather, God's inviting, you know, he's inviting his people back into relationship. And the tithe gave them a motivation to enter into his presence and bring with them the food that they can consume together for the most part. Right. Actually, actually, Malachi, you know, in the next verses of this, going verse 15, he actually, he actually, God through Malachi confronted the, the, the Israelites and they were like saying, um, it's actually useless to serve you. What's the use of repenting? Where you know when these people are actually yeah. these evil people are actually, and so they really didn't have, did not have that motivation. So God was trying to you know to bring them back, you know, to that yep. relationship with Him, and so that's the whole point. And then towards the end of the, <clears throat> although towards the end of the uh, episode, as Riel and I talked about, does it apply to us and um, to us right now as believers, as the children of Abraham, should we be giving our tithes? And we discuss about the covenant that we have now in Christ, and the law of the law of this covenant, which is love. And so, love becomes the motivation of all the things that we do. Um, tithe, what is the the, the tithe offering and tithes was in the, understood in the context of people, uh, specific people in specific time. Those were given to the Israelites as people being uh, people being. Uh, agreed by, by God to, you know, be his people. And so that was part of how they are going to be established as people. Now we have a new covenant with Jesus. Uh, just And then, you know, some people would say, what, why are we, you know, obeying some of the Ten Commandments? Well, it just happened that when you love, like you don't kill, you don't murder, you don't murder, you don't, you don't uh, commit adultery, you don't, yeah, so all these things. And you, you love God faithfully. You don't worship other gods or serve two masters or whatever. So that's it. Uh, we, we're not, if you want to give your tithes ten percent, that's good. But I think if you, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's sure. fine. That's no problem. Yes, because in the New Testament, Jesus never thought also to stop tithing. I mean, he even when he confronted the the Pharisees, he said, "You're doing these things, but you have been disregarding other these other things." So yeah. you keep all these things. You know, you don't just choose out the things that you want to do. But yeah. although we see in the new the course of the New Testament, we see the kind of giving that is more than just giving the tithe. People were giving sacrificially. And that's because, I mean, we see it, that's a product of love. That's a product of love. Love for God and love for his people. In the Corinthians, when Paul uh, encouraged the Corinthians to keep giving, he used Macedonia as an example. He was very supportive in him, in his ministry. And he was saying um, they, were giving, uh, uh, they were giving out of their love, you know, for God. And yeah. there were a lot of things that we talked about there. If you want to hear more of that, just get to that episode of, uh, our in our podcast.
that's a very interesting topic right there. So I hope you, you know, for those who disagree with that, we you have not judged us <laughs> wrongly. But anyway, and if you are judging, uh, uh, keep listening because you may yeah. learn a little bit about your uh, judgment here as we go forward. Yep. So I'm so excited to jump into the passage, but before we do that, now let's. I allow me to just give you a quick review of the onion model that we are using in uh, our study of the scripture. So we call this the onion, the the onion, the onion model, um, because it has layers that we use in order to try to understand what the passage is trying to communicate or what it actually means. You know, so. Uh, in contrast with how probably others do, like they start from the text, the language, what we do is the opposite. Start with uh, the broader, which is the historical context. This is um, what was happening during the time, the, the culture, you know, what influences people, the way they think, the way they live, you know, their life, what was, how their life looked like during that time. And not just uh, within, you know, within their the context of as a people, but we also try to consider the rest uh, of the of the people around them. And the next is we look at the ultimate context. This is where we try to understand how the specific passage, as it belongs to a, a specific book, which belongs to the Bible as a collection of books, uh, cohere to the message of what the Bible is. As you know, we agree with the Bible Project as how they describe the, they describe the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. So we try to see how the passages lead to Jesus. And that's the ultimate context. Next is the broad context. This is where we look at the book in itself, the author, the genre, the themes, the purpose, the date of its writing, the, the setting you know, of the story of, of, of the narratives. And next is the local context. Um, when we look at the passage, we see to it that we also look at you know, the, the things said before and the things said after. Where it actually where it is actually located because you know everything that we say it is always it is always in the context and the local context is like like the immediate context where it is actually located so for example all the things that you're hearing from me right now if you come to if you hear a single sentence it's always within the context of this podcast you know of the specific topic within you know part of the of the, the whole discussion so that's what we're doing in the local context we're narrowing down to its where this where where did the author uh, say say this and then we look at what he's actually talking in that specific part then the, the the last thing that we do is we look at the textual context or for some you know this as the word study this is where we look at the translations what they actually mean because in greek and hebrew uh, words are sometimes they mean differently as how they are used so that's uh, so, and also with grammar and they are very critical with that uh, meanings are, uh, are really dependent also with grammar so we look into that and then we collectively, you know, as we look at all these contexts, that's how we determine what the passage means, you know. So we'll be using this, of course, as always, as we will be looking out, uh, looking into a new passage. And you heard it, you saw it, you can see it. Topic is about judge, judging or do not judge, you know, just as how other people uh, probably think um this is very important because you know some christians and unbelievers i would say also say that we're not ought to we are not ought to judge because you know this topic is confused with james when james said 
if you judge, you're taking the the position of God. Only God can judge because he's 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 perfect, you know. So we as human beings, we cannot. Even as Christians, you know the word, you know the scripture, but you cannot judge because you are not God. You know, you are just his son, so you are not actually supposed to judge. And so I think the implication to that will will have a have a very significant impact into the Christian life. Because later on, if we realize what the word judge uh, actually means, then and if we're not doing that, then we're missing out so much about our Christian life. Related to growth, you know, becoming like Christ and just knowing him more too. So yeah. that's why I think this is very important. I know you have a lot, uh, you have something to say. Well, about. I was just <laughs> thinking about the way that I, the way that I was thinking about judgment earlier, especially being around a bunch of young people. Um, the fact of the matter is this. If a young person came up to me and said, do not judge, I would tell him I disagree. Now, if another young person came up to me and said, do not judge, I would tell him I agree. Am I contradicting? Right? So here's the thing. In one hand, I can say I do not agree with the statement, do not judge. On the other hand, I can say I 100% agree with the statement, do not judge. So what's the mm -hmm. difference between the two? Because if you look at this just on paper, right? If I wrote those two things down on paper, they're a mirror image, but they're the opposite, which means they're a contradiction. So in essence, what I'm saying is a contradiction if it's written on paper. What makes it not a contradiction? What makes it not a contradiction is the context by which I'm agreeing or disagreeing with each of those individual statements. There's a sense in which, do not judge, uh, I completely disagree with that idea. There's a sense in which, do not judge, I completely agree with that idea. I think the problem, if we, could, if we had to state the problem, the problem is today, we only have one context. That's not, well, let me rephrase that. That sounds a little bit too exaggerated. Many people mm -hmm. only have one context for the phrase, do not judge. They <laughs> only have one context. And so because they only have one context, whenever it comes up that somebody appears to be doing anything related to this, the only statement they can say is, do not judge, nice. right? because their context of judgment is limited to what they've already determined, right? Now, you mentioned this, I'm gonna just clarify it uh, similarly. This is not a Christian-only yeah. problem. This is also a non-Christian yeah. problem. Now, that tells us two things. The first yeah. thing is, the Christians are responsible for their interpretation yeah. of scripture. The non-Christian is not yeah. responsible for their interpretation because they learned it from a Christian, right? So they're responsible, yes, to try to figure out what that actually means, but we can't expect them to be able to interpret a Bible they don't read, a Bible they don't study, a Bible they don't believe in. However, we should expect, or at least we should, I think expect is a fair word, we should expect Christians to take seriously trying to figure out what the Bible intends to teach. In fact, our, our model of biblical interpretation it's not necessarily to get what the Bible means, because we're open to the fact that we could be wrong. Instead, what we're trying to figure out is what does the Bible intend to teach? And this model helps us to get what we see is the best amount of evidence leading to what we think the Bible intends to teach, right? So when it comes to this idea, do not judge. Let's take it from the Christian perspective. This show is about the Bible. 
this show is about uh, passages that are yeah. often misinterpreted or difficult. So where does this come from? Where did people get this idea in the first place? Uh, do not judge or to not judge at all. Where did this exactly come from? Yeah, interesting because it's found in the, one of the Gospels, specifically the book of Matthew. And to think, uh, really, if you just like what you've said, if you just look at this statement, single statement outside of its context, then you will really say, um, oh, so we should really follow this. And without, you know, understanding it right. And if you actually look at the passage, this is something that actually Jesus said <laughs> so or thought you know so this is actually found in matthew 7 verse 1 and it read judge not that you be not judged let me read it in the nasb says do not judge so that you will not be judged yes so that is the passage that we're, that we're going to look into because this is what people use you know sometimes they just uh they don't read the whole, even the whole sentence. They just read the first phrase and say, that says, don't judge or do not judge. And that's where they conclude that the Bible, the whole Bible teaches us not to judge. And when they, when Christians, you know, or other people, you know, judge either rightly or wrongly, you know, in the process, they say, hey, you're doing, you're doing wrong. You are not a judge or so you, you, sh you shouldn't judge because the Bible actually teaches us not to judge. So, that's what we're trying. That, that we what we'll try to do now is clarify what is Jesus trying to teach here. What is what is he trying to uh, uh, tell us? So first, let's um, dive into this. Let's use the model, and and let's look at the historical context. What was uh, happening during this time when Jesus said this, and uh, uh, the context of the whole uh, book, uh, the, the 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 book of Matthew. So. Hey, bro, do you have any idea what was happening during this time? Yeah, this, <clears throat> this is an interesting statement. So we're going to start here inside the historical context in the broad. Then we're going to hop back to the historical just to get a frame. Uh, a couple key things to remember. The Bible does not have chapters. The Bible does not have verses. Okay, when it was written, these things didn't exist. The reason why we gave them chapters and verses is to make them easy to read and study. Okay, <clears throat> however, the Bible does have flow of thought. Just like anyone writing any text, you're going to have a couple paragraphs here that have a certain flow of thought, and then you're going to have a couple other paragraphs that have a certain flow of thought. Uh, the problem with reading the Bible is we often separate these as if they're not connected at all, but they are connected. Usually, people who study the Bible, they study Matthew, will separate Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7 in what they call the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Yeah. But we have to remember those distinctions don't exist, right? Those aren't actual God-inspired distinctions. They're the ways that we try to separate the train of thought. <clears throat> now, I want to start the historical context by reading just before this Sermon on the Mount begins in Matthew 5. That means we're going to look at Matthew 4. Okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. So I'm just going to read a couple verses here. This is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. 
the news about Jesus spread throughout all of Syria. That's interesting. And they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases, with pains, the demoniacs, the epileptics, the paralytics, all of them to be healed by him. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Now, this may not seem like it makes any sense as to why it would be connected until you read chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1 says this, when Jesus saw who? He saw the crowds, right? Everyone we just read in the past two verses, okay? The crowds are full of these people who decided to follow him, and they don't know anything. They're ignorant. They, they, they're not religious people. They're not people who are learned in the scriptures. They're not people who understand the history of Israel or any of these things besides the stories they're told. Those are the crowds Jesus sees, okay? He sees these crowds, and then it says this. After he saw them, he goes up to the mountain, and he sits down with his disciples. This is, this is interesting. Now, remember mm-hmm. I told you, the flow of thought, generally speaking, is that Matthew 5 to 7 is one sermon. Matthew 5 to 7 is one sermon to his disciples. Right. People, now this is the problem. We tend to look at that and say, okay, it's a sermon to the disciples, right? And then we just keep it in this box, Matthew 5 to 7. But here's the thing. It's a sermon to his disciples about these people who don't know anything about religion. They don't know anything about the Jew, living the Jewish life. They don't know anything because they've been exiled from their community. Let's go back to chapter 4. Let's see who these people are. Uh, those who are sick, those suffering, those who have demons, those who have spirits, those who are pain, the epileptics, the paralytics. Who are these people? Everyone that was cast out from being able to participate in the Jewish life, right? Community. Yes. Yeah. So this is the historical context. There's a group of people who have been unable to participate in the life of religion at the time. We would say today the life of the church. Let's just say the life of the synagogue, culturally, right? The life of the synagogue. So Jesus sees them, Matthew 5.1. When he sees this happening, they're, they're becoming his followers. Notice this. They are becoming Jesus' followers. When he sees this, he turns to his disciples, takes them to a place and begins a training session. This training session takes us from Matthew 5 to Matthew 6 to Matthew 7, starting with the verse that you read, right? So the setting is that Jesus had just began his ministry. So this is the cultural setting. Jesus had just began his ministry. There was a distinction between the religious leaders of the day who were Jesus' own people, by the way. Jesus never considered himself separate from the Jewish community. He was considered a rabbi. He's a Jewish leader. He's alongside the Jewish leaders, right? He's teaching Judaism. Jesus isn't teaching Christianity. He's teaching Judaism. And yet the people who begin to follow him are not these people. They're not Jewish. They're not leaders. They're exiled for all intents and purposes from the Jewish religious life because they're sick, because they're unclean because they may be prostitutes, because they're demon-possessed. So they're outside of the community. Right. Then Jesus, in this early stage of his ministry, OK, 
okay, very early on. We don't know how early because it's hard to date these things, but probably within the first year. <clears throat> within the first year, right, the historical setting we already got laid out, Jesus turns to his disciples. The disciples Jesus chose are the group of people that are going to follow him and carry out his ministry, okay? Now he begins a training session for them, okay? So, we have the historical context laid, right? A setting where, man, there's a division. The Jewish people were supposed to be the light of the world. We right. see that in chapter 5, 6, right? But they're not. They're not the light of the world. Jesus' disciples are all Jewish. Are all supposed to be those who are sitting under a Jewish leader, which means they are going to become Jewish leaders. Right? They're disciples of a rabbi. And then he begins to instruct them, right? We're not going to go through chapter 5 and 6, because that's not for this episode. But that's the setting of seven. A group of people's following Jesus. They know nothing. Jesus wants to reach them. But Jesus isn't going to do it himself. He has a group of disciples. Now he's training his disciples on how to reach those people, right? Because they started to follow him. They don't have anywhere else to go. They're trying to follow Jesus. So Matthew 7, verse 1, and then I think you're going to read more here in a minute, is yeah, put yeah. in this in this context. Now, it's obvious, right, how this leads to Jesus. It's not obvious how Matthew 7, 1 does. We'll get to that. But it is obvious now how the rest of the setting, historically, leads to Jesus. Because he's trying to set up his disciples to be successful, to reach those who are considered to be outside of any community by which they could be saved because of their situation. They're unclean. And this is where we are as we get up to Matthew 7, verse 1. Yeah, so thank you for laying that down, bro, because sometimes when people read you know, the Bible, uh, specifically meaning the Christians, sometimes we just read passages and we interpret them as they are and we forget we even forget who were the people listening and so yeah. we put into different meanings implying about what they actually mean and we go directly sometimes to the present time and we don't and so we really consider you know the the other the other things about where the passage was actually uh located and what's being said during this time and the people that's part of the of the narrative so that's it so that's the historical context. And now uh, we, we know the characters. Now we're looking at the ultimate context. You know, How does the book of Matthew and this specific passage lead to, to Jesus? And yeah. to, yeah, just, just to add from the historical context, the book of Matthew is the first book written, and we're told about the narrative of the birth of Jesus, right? In, in chapter one, we see- Well, wait, let's, let's stop there for a minute. Uh, it yeah. may be the first. There's two positions on this. Maybe, yeah, there, there's Mark, the Mar yeah. Markan priority or Matthean priority. Okay. So we're not, we're not going to take a position on this here, but Matthew is considered to be possibly one of the first Gospels written. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, even with regards to the date, uh, the scholars are divided and they don't have the definite date on when this was actually written. Yes, yeah, so, so thank you for pointing out that. But the point here is that Coming from the Old Testament, the gospel, uh, let's say wh wh whatever the first book, the narrative of the life of Jesus is like, it's the it's the next you know revelation because there was this what we call the four hundred silent years, so the 
the situation of the Jews where they were under the Roman Empire, you know, and they are still waiting for a savior to come and free them from this, you know, from their present situation. And we, we're seeing in uh, in Matthew chapter chapter one verses twenty one to twenty three. Uh, the angel was, was, was saying, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. And this is what, is, what was said, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So if you're going to ask how does the book of Matthew and the specific part of the passage leads to Jesus, the book of Matthew is actually about Jesus, his birth. Yeah. His yeah, the, the Messiah, the promised Emmanuel, who will who was prophesied, you know, in the OT, who will come and establish a new covenant, who will save his people from their sins. Or from our sins. Yeah, it, we're we're included yeah, yeah. in this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Do you have anything to add that in, in that, bro? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I That sounded arrogant. That's not what I meant to say. What I mean to say is there are things that are important to talk about regarding Matthew uh, in all the Gospels, yes. but since we're in Matthew and we're trying to get mm. to more of the ultimate context, right? How does it fit into the, the story of the Bible? This would be what we consider an ancient biography. It's not a modern biography where they're trying to chronicle someone's life from beginning to end using uh, chronology, right? It's not like that, but it does parallel with ancient biography, which is trying to trace sort of what Jesus did and why he did it within the grand scope of Jesus' ministry and his goals, right? So Matthew is a, a biography of Jesus trying to tell the story of salvation. Now, if you know the full arc of the story of the Bible, uh, let me make a plug. Uh, we have produced a class called The Story of the Bible My with uh, the church I work with called CCF. Dunhope has a little picture over here. And this takes you the grand narrative, the meta-narrative of the story of the Bible. What is it all about from beginning to end? We mm. adopt the Bible project, uh, like Dunhope said, Bible project definition that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. Matthew, within this unified story, is now telling mm. us the life of Jesus in relation to God's mission, which is to save the world from themselves. So Matthew gets to detail for us uh, the life that Jesus lived and the ministry that Jesus lived to plug into the mission of salvation. So it is, a, in essence, a biography of Jesus, one of four that we have. Right. And the understanding of you know, the, the, the coming of Christ, you have to understand that looking at you know, the, after, the, after the Israelites went back you know, from Babylon, we remember their situation. They were like, Moses saw it already. Like one day, because I know you will not really obey these commands. God is going to come. He will change your hearts and he will heal you and he will save you so that you will really be able to obey the law. So during the, the, the time when they were there, they, they attempted to have a revival, but they were not able to accomplish that. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the walls. They tried to read again this, the, the, the law. They even had, a part in Nehemiah wherein they recommitted themselves. But again, in our shock in the book of Malachi, we realize, oh, they're not actually they have not been revived. And so this coming of the Messiah is for that purpose, you know, to restore them, to heal them, to forgive them of their sins, to save them from their sins or for our sins. So that's that's uh how Matthew is is uh 
fitted into the whole narrative of uh, the Bible. So that's it. So now we're going, we will be diving into the broad context, uh, the book uh, as a whole. Um, scholars say that was, this was written by Matthew, the tax collector, one of the disciples of Jesus. And again, uh, it's like what we have discussed a while ago, the date uh, is not definite, but scholars would say it was written probably AD 70, but in between, it's not just in between AD 50 or 290. Uh, this was written probably before the destruction of Jerusalem. So it's the time. And the theme of this book is really to present Jesus, as the, as the Jewish Messiah, the Savior sent by God to fulfill the OT or the Old Testament prophecy. So the whole narrative shows who Jesus is. Uh, it's a continuation of the narrative of OT. Uh, Jesus is God. He, Jesus is human he's the messiah he's the emmanuel and in his teachings you know we see that he's greater than moses you know uh who will establish a new covenant and um that he is going to fulfill the torah you know the commandments and he will help us you know in obeying the law and we see that uh in, in matthew 28 he made disciples and he called his disciples to continue what he's doing to bring the message to the whole world so yeah. that's it that's the, yeah. that's the and, and one of the one of the things that matthew does uniquely and this comes up this is very important for matthew chapter 7 is that matthew specifically paints jesus as the mm -hmm. right king okay now yes this is this is important because one of the key mistakes israel made was their demand for a king now it's not that god right. didn't want them to have a king that's not the point. The it's their demand. The right. from, that from that idea, right. yes. So the Israelites, right, they demanded a king, not to have a king, mm. but so that they would be like the others around them. That's what they say, specifically to God, right? So Matthew deals with this idea of the kingdom of God, or the gospel of the kingdom, because mm. what Matthew is trying to set up is that Jesus is a king, that Jesus right. is a ruler, that Jesus is a just judge. And so you're going to see a theme of judgment actually come up in Matthew quite a few times. And Jesus yes. is going to teach judgment to his disciples quite a few times. Because what a good king does is he judges. And that's what's curious. Yeah. Because Matthew's about the gospel of the kingdom, showing Jesus as the king, the good right gospel. For those who don't know, let's just... Might as well say this now. The word gospel is the word evangelion or evangelion, depending on how you pronounce Greek, right? And what this literally meant, not just the word, but actually in culture, was that when a king had conquered and won the battle, he would send out a messenger to tell everyone the good news that the battle's over and that they had won. The king mm. would send a messenger to tell everyone that the battle was over and the king had won. Matthew is telling us the king has come, the king has a message. That king's message is the Evangelion, okay? So whatever the king says, this is the good news. This king is a judge, and he's going to judge. And Matthew says this, right, many times in many ways. But then Jesus, you said it right, at 28, Jesus tells his disciples to continue what he did. This is yeah. exactly what's happening in Matthew 7. 
Jesus right. is telling his disciples to continue what he is going to do. And that's where things get interesting. Yes. So, yeah, it's like, I know we're going to the local context right now where the yep. passage is actually located. And we're going to realize, Jesus later on was realized, you know, as he called his disciples to continue what he's doing. I just want to point out, point this out that this should be our lives. You know, this should be part of our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so now let's just dive into the, the local context. Let's read through Matthew 7, verse 1 to 6. It's where it's located and this will help us understand what Jesus is actually teaching from uh, this context. So um, allow me to read this or do you want to read it, Kyle? Go ahead. All right. So for those who are listening or watching, just uh, open your Bibles if you have it or you may just listen. Matthew 7, 1 to 6, it's 6, it says, uh, by the way, I'm using ASV version from passages I'm reading. Um, Matthew 7, 1 to 6, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the lag that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is the lag in your own eye. You hypocrite. That's judgment. <laughs> take the lag out of your own eye and when you will see clearly and you and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So that's the local context. What does it tell us, bro, about you know the specific passage of verse that we are looking into? What does this? What is Jesus trying to teach us here? Yeah, there. When we take a verse, and I always tell people this, and I'm going to keep saying this: two things here. <clears throat> Number one, we have to stop reading the Bible, and we have to start studying the Bible. Number yeah. two, never read a Bible verse. That's a quote from Greg Kokel. I don't like much mm. of Greg Kokel's apologetics, but those that's some pretty good quotes right there, okay? Never read a Bible verse. Because what happens when you read, do not judge so that you will not be judged, you take that and you create a theology out of it. And yet, what we just saw is that when you read just, you don't have to go very far. This is one of the passages you don't have to go very far to understand, like, what does it mean? It's right there, right? Uh, yep. what Jesus is trying to do is to take a very old concept that they knew. Mm. This is in verse 2. They believed and they knew, and to some degree this is reality, that by which you measure something, that is what you will receive. This is the weighing scale. This is the imagery all over the Old Testament, right? There are these scales. And if you want to weigh out something, and you're going to make it less than what you owe someone, expect to get less in return. If you're going to make it more than what you owe someone, expect to get more in return. This expectation mentality was so common in the history of this people. This was such a common idea. I mean, they're deceiving people and defrauding people using scales. This is something that they do. This isn't uncommon to them. <clears throat> it happens today. We just don't use scales in the same way, right? <clears throat> so Jesus, right, he says, do not judge. But he doesn't stop there. That's the thing, right? In, in verse 2, he continues, right? And he says, for in the way that you judge, 
okay, now, wait a second, what? You just said don't judge, but you're assuming they will judge, right? Because you're saying in the manner that you judge, right? You'll be judged in the same way. Now we're getting a little bit more light here. Okay, don't judge, otherwise you'll be judged. However, in the way that you judge, expect to be judged in the same way, right? And then he says about the measurements, the scales. Whatever you weigh out, expect to get back. Now he clarifies it. Okay, so you're going to, don't judge or you'll be judged, but you're going to judge. So you need to be able to do it in a way that you want to be judged. Now, let me tell you how to do judgment. That's where he goes in verse three, right? Mm. The context of verse one, do not judge, is not a general statement in terms of universals. It's a general right. statement in terms of what we call maxims, okay? A maxim is like the Proverbs, right? Train up your child in the way that they shall go, and they will never depart. Well, we all know you can train your child in the way they should go, and they sometimes depart. The idea that Jesus is getting across in the Sermon on the Mount is wisdom. The Proverbs is known as wisdom literature. Generally mm. speaking, if you do this in this way, then this will be the result. But that doesn't mean it's always the result. This is a general maxim. And what Jesus is saying, if you judge in a specific way, then you better just not judge at all. That's a general maxim. However, you're going to judge because everyone does. So in the way that you judge, you need to do it like this. And then he says, which we just read, I'll read it again. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? Uh-oh, that's judgment. Yeah. Right? That's judgment. <clears throat> he's already beginning, and he's telling them something they're doing. He says, you don't even notice the log that's in your own eye. Wait, that's also judgment. So, you're judging him, but you're not even judging yourself. That's what he's saying. Mm -hmm. Let's go to verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? That's judgment. And behold, I love the word behold. Behold, the log is in your own eye. They're not judging themselves. You hypocrite. Uh-oh, Jesus is casting oh, no. judgment, right? This is judgment. You hypocrite. Yes. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let me say this uh, as local context in modern English. Mm. You hypocrite, judge yourself first. Once mm. you're able to do that well, you'll be able to judge mm -hmm. others rightly. Right. That's where he's going with this. That's the direction that, that Jesus is taking, right? Then he says this interesting statement. Do not give mm. what is holy to the dog. Do not throw away your pearls before swine, or they'll trample them under their feet and turn you, that's weird, they're going to take you, turn you, and tear you into pieces. Why would he talk about holiness in the context of judgment? Because that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, if you're going to keep taking specks out of people's eyes and leaving the logs in your own eye, it's as if you're taking the greatest pearl you could ever imagine, and you're throwing it into a pit with the pigs. You think the pig's ever going to use that? Is he going to learn from that? Is he going to grow from that? Is he going to be able to maximize the profit from the pearl? No, he's going to bury it. He's going to keep stomping on it. He's going to turn the pearl into a pit of mud. Mm. 
how are you going to fix this problem? You need to change the way that you approach the situation. You need to change, mm -hmm. back to verse 2, huh? You need to change the way you judge. Mm -hmm. That is the key here, right? So when we say, do not judge, the context there of Matthew 7, 1, of do not judge, is set in this idea of like measuring scales, right? So what Jesus is really saying is, if you're going to judge like a hypocrite, don't judge at all. However, mm -hmm. what you really need to do, because this is a great pearl, you need to change the way that you judge. Because judgment, and this is what the speck and log idea is, uh, judgment can actually save someone's life. Right. Judgment can help. Judgment is actually what we're supposed to do, right? The question mm -hmm. is now, what is judgment? What does to judge even mean? And how do we do it? Step into the so now we're so we have just done you know looking into the local context now we're diving into the textual context so we will be looking at what the word judge really means you know in Greek it's krino or what how do you read this bro it's uh, well krino is how it would be said krino <laughs> krino yeah so meaning it means to separate you know to distinguish something and in the context well, let me let me clarify you got to okay. be more specific with your words one of right. the possible definitions is to separate oh, yes, yes. okay we got to be clear about yeah, this yeah, because yeah. this word carino is it's classically difficult to interpret because of the range mm -hmm. of definitions it can possibly have there are at least eight major definitions but then within each of those sub definitions right so let me just clarify a few of these one of them is actually to make a determination. So to oh, say, yeah, yeah. like, this is the case, or this isn't the case, right? Another is to separate, right? To, to not just, dis distinguish. right, to distinguish. So you have yeah, determine, and then you have distinguish. Yeah. But we have to be clear that it's not like there's, uh, this is the meaning. There is a I, range I, of meanings. So the word judge, I, in English we read here, is the Greek word krino which can have a variety of meanings. It can be to distinguish, it can be to determine, it can be to make a moral uh, proclamation. I mean, literally, it comes up in moral categories, right? Uh, or used in the context of a court, you know? Yeah, a court uh, ruling, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So, so yeah, that's it. So that, that's what the word judge uh, means, and that is what uh, is used here. So, now we have we've learned uh, the local context. What Jesus is actually trying uh, to say. Um, now we're looking into more into what he is uh, spe specifically saying. Uh, looking at um, verse one. So, what do you think is the meaning of Christ, of Krino that Jesus trying is referring here, bro? Yeah, I I think it. Yeah, it's clear with the rest of the context. And if we like hop over to somewhere like John 7, 24, right. where Jesus says, hey, you judge by what you see. You're judging by the mm. appearance. What comes off to you immediately, you're casting an immediate judgment on that. What you need to do, he says this, is judge righteously. Judge rightly. In fact, it's a command. So the command isn't, do not judge. The command is judge righteously. 
In verse 1, when Jesus says, in Ma- going back to Matthew 7, 1, when Jesus says, do not judge so that you will not be judged, he's saying it in the context of verse 5. You hypocrite, do not judge. Now, because you will be judged because you're a hypocrite. Now, what happens if we remove the hypocrite? Right? What happens if we remove the log from our eye? Well, Jesus tells us exactly what happens. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In Greek, this reads very similar. It says, then you'll be able to see as if there is nothing blocking your vision, right? You'll be able to see what you ought to see, because here's the problem. And this is the whole crux of the issue. When you're judging people as a hypocrite, as a deceiver, as a liar, right? You're judging people not based on what you actually see, but based on what you think you see. And these mm. are not the same. With a yeah. giant, with the log of pride in your eye, the log of hypocrisy in your eye, the log of arrogance in your eye, with the log of looking down on people in your eye, with the log of seeing someone who has a tattoo and immediately thinking they're a demon worshiper in your eye, you are no longer able to rightly and objectively make a distinction or a determination. Mm. Or a moral judgment. Because you're not looking at things objectively, you're looking at things subjectively. What Jesus is telling his disciples here is, hey, this is all of our problem. This is Mm. our problem. We look at things through our own lenses. We look at things with a log in our eye. We judge Mm. based on what we think and feel, regardless of if we know it's true or false or right or wrong. So Jesus is telling his disciples, look, all of these people want to follow me. Let's go back to the beginning. They've all been judged by Israel as unworthy. Mm. They've all been kicked out. They're all living outside Mm. of the religious camp. They're all being told that they can't bring their animals for sacrifice and they have to pay double in the temple. Is this how we should be judging? Remember, this is the context. Matthew 5 to 7, it's all one. He's talking about all of those people that just came to follow him and training his disciples what to do. He's telling them, the first thing you need to do before you're going to make a judgment, before you're going to make a distinction, right? Before you're going to distinguish, before you're going to make a determination, before you're going to make a moral claim, you need to figure out what's right by taking the log out of your own eye. Remove your pride, remove your arrogance, Remove that you view, like John 7 said, things with just your appearances, and think about verse number six. The holy there is not put there for no reason. Jesus uses the word holy because the way we should judge people is based on what God would do. How would Jesus see them? How would Jesus judge them? What would Jesus Hmm. do legitimately in this situation? Do not judge is conditional upon if you leave the log in your own eye. Right. If you leave the log in your own eye, Jesus is saying, better you keep your mouth shut. Because guess what? The same thing you throw out, it's coming right back to you. You know why? Because you're a hypocrite. And I know that. Mm -hmm. This is Jesus speaking. He knows we're hypocrites. And the judgment will come back on us 
because we're pretending we're not. Mm. That's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is someone mm. who pretends they're not what they actually are. Jesus is telling them, stop pretending. Yeah. Stop playing so, games. I, I, I love, you know, Jesus talking about this with his disciples, having the assumption that, it's not actually, because he's not saying, you know, per se, don't judge. But he's saying, judge, because, I mean, he's, there's an assumption that, you know, all you guys, you will be judging. But when you judge, you take the log first in your eye. So the point here is that this is significant in the Christian walk as disciples of Jesus Christ that we constantly check ourselves. Like, how am I as a Christian? How am I as a person? How am I as a husband? How am I as a brother? How am I as a neighbor? Because if these things are clear, if we have, you know, seen all these things, we have removed, you know, these lugs from us, just like what you've said, then we'll be able to help others also remove theirs that are blocking also with them. And in terms of ourselves, of course, because we cannot just, you know, look our, look at ourselves on our own because we all, we have this lug also. We need someone to to, to take this lug from our eyes. And, sometime, and, and, and some, the point here is that we also need other people to tell us. But when other people fails to, see, to, to tell us that, Ultimately, what we need is Jesus, you know, through the Holy Spirit to tell us what these lugs are. Because sometimes when people tell us, we are, or when we realize things, sometimes we deny these things. We don't believe, you know, that we have this lug in our eyes. And so what we need is Jesus, you know, he himself to tell us and to acknowledge that these lugs are actually here and we need to take this away. So that in our community as believers, we can help others also to take their lug in their eyes. Yeah, so, what, what, what Jesus is doing here is he's forbidding mm. unrighteous judgment. That's yes. what Jesus is saying, do not do. Do not judge unrighteously, right? But what Jesus is saying on the other hand is, judge righteously. Right. And how do you judge righteously? You take the log out of your eye. You mm. look at people without the pride, or at least you repent. You look at people without yes. the arrogance, or at least you repent. You look at people without the uh, view of their appearance being who they are, or at least you repent. Because when you take the log out of your own eye, when you remove this big thing that prevents you from judging righteously, you can actually see clearly to make those righteous judgments. I think what you see in the rest of the contexts, because there's more than one that surround judgment right. when Jesus speaks, is that you take the log out of your eye, you're able to see the light of truth better. And when you're able to see the light of truth better, you can then help others see the light of truth. That's a judgment. You can then make a pronouncement about others in line with the truth. That's a judgment. You can then have a true view of reality and help others see that. That's a judgment. Rather than having a skewed view of reality, you know, say from mm -hmm. having a log in your eye and not being able to see so you judge someone's character based on what you think about them rather than what is true about them. And this sort of brings me back to the first story I was telling about my week, right? A young person could come up to me and they could say, uh, do not judge. And then I'll say, I agree. Another young person could come up to me and say, do not judge. And I'll say, I disagree. What I just said is the reason why this isn't a contradiction. Because the person who came up to me and said, do not judge, and I said, I agree, it's because they're telling me, don't judge based on what your opinion is or what you think. Mm -hmm. Don't judge mm -hmm. based on your arrogance. 
or your pride or your hypocrisy or because this person is wearing clothes that aren't rich and they're sitting in the back row of the church building. Don't judge based on those things. Mm. What you need to do is look at them with truth and reality and those judgments will come from that, not based on what you think. The other, the other young person who's saying, do not judge, and I say, I disagree. It's because they're saying, don't make any pronouncement at all. Mm. Don't say this is true at all or that's false at all. Don't say that's right at all or that's wrong at all. But by them telling me that, they've made a judgment against me. The statement, do not judge, is a judgment. The statement, do not judge or you will be judged, is a judgment by its very nature. And so by saying don't judge or you will be judged, you have already made a judgment. And so it's clear then that what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7, 1 is do not judge as a hypocrite with a log in your eye or else you will be judged as a hypocrite with a log in your eye. Instead, in the way that you judge, take the log out because then you'll be able to see clearly because then you'll be able to actually help people because then rather than throw your pearl, which is judgment, in the pig's mm. pen so that it gets trampled, that pearl will be taken by that person and it will be cherished. It mm. will become profitable in their life. It will be something that helps to change them. Because let me tell you what, bro. Mm. Have you ever had a speck of sawdust in your eye or dust at all? Yeah. Have you ever had this? Do yes, you know literally. how frustrating and annoying, like you can't get it out where is, you can't see it. It's so difficult to find and it, it turns your eye red and you start to think only about that and you can't get it off of your mind. <laughs> Jesus was a carpenter. Mm-hmm. He probably messed with wood a lot. <laughs> he probably had many a speck of sawdust in his eye. <laughs> he knows what this is like. And he's saying, the speck of sawdust in your eye isn't good either. The log is terrible, but everyone can see your log. That's how they know you're judging Mm -hmm. wrongly. If you want to help people, and people need help, and people do have specks in their eye, and the speck is not good, what you need Mm -hmm. to do is get the elephant out of the room. First, Mm -hmm. judge yourself. Take the log out of your eye. Now, once you've done that, you can actually help people to take that speck that's very hard to see out of their own eye. But you have to do this in a righteous way. So I think I think judging by itself is a good thing. It's it's necessary. You can't escape it. By saying do not judge, you're making a judgment. Jesus speaking in the context of Matthew as a king and a judge, right, of a kingdom is telling us be like me. Right? Learn to be like me. Jesus setting up this sermon in the context of a group of people who have been judged unrighteously, probably for thousands of years, is telling Mm. the new kings, the new priests, his disciples, Mm. hey, uh, let me teach you the right way to take care of these people who we've kicked out of the kingdom, right? Who we've thrown on the outside. Let me teach you the right way to do it. Take a look at yourself. Think about how you're doing. Make all of your effort about yourself first, but don't think Mm -hmm. it's only for you because judgment is a good thing. Judgment is meant Mm -hmm. to help people. 
Judgment is meant to distinguish the truth from falsehood, what's right from what's wrong. But first, you need to do that with yourself. Otherwise, you won't be able to see clearly. If you don't, then you will be judged based on your hypocrisy, your pride, mm -hmm. your arrogance, or whatever other thing is stuck bulging out of your skull. This is how you will be judged. So take it out so that you can help others and help them take this little speck. It's annoying, but that little speck needs to get out, right? It needs to come out. And you got to learn to judge rightly. I'm thinking of how, how we, you know, help when we have some someone, when he has some speck in his eye, you blow the eye of your yeah. just to get away. Yeah. You know, I mean, so now I'm just, you know, um, as a seminary student, I remember the time when, I was there and I was, I thought I was doing fine and people thought I was doing fine. And then I went to my internship and I had that, you know, relationship with Pastor Mark and Pastor Mark really helped me acknowledge the lag in my eye and helped me also slowly take that away. And then the journey continued, you know, back in Ebenezer. Then there I found, uh, I mean, Pastor PG came Pastor PJ Aldemore helped me look, you know, at myself and take away these slugs. And then years came, you were, you came into my life, bro. And you helped me a lot too, in terms of the, until now, <laughs> these guys continue to help me take away. Yeah, we got logs, bro. We all yeah. got logs. Yeah. And, um, so now, you know, as, as, uh, as a minister, I would say I'm, I still I still judge hypo hypocritely. I still judge yeah. unrighteously at times, you know. So, but you guys help me to keep on, you know, reminding me, help me on taking away this log so that I'll be able to minister rightly in terms of how we lead people, you know. So, yeah. I think I, I see I see the significance of why Jesus Jesus is teaching this because as individuals we will not be able to really. Get away with not judging. That's we right. will be judging. But yes, so first we will be judging. We will be looking at ourselves, taking away these logs, but we cannot do it ourselves. We need. That's why you know. That's why looking at how Jesus did his ministry and how he called us to continually to continue doing this. He established discipleship groups, accountability accountability groups, people that we can have relationship with, people yes. we can trust to honestly tell us, "Hey, you got this log, bro. Yeah, you have to take this." You have to take this first before you can even, you know, keep going and going and, you know, discipling, helping people also to follow Jesus. You have to take this away. By the and way, so, bro, that's so important. We'll stop there for a minute because that's most important. Remember, the word I here doesn't necessarily mean singular, by the way. The implication yeah. is that because you have a log, somebody would think, well, if I had a log in my eye, couldn't I see it? No, you have a log in your eye. You can't see it because you have a log in your eye. Right. This, yes. The the idea that Jesus is trying to get across here is that you're blind. You're judging yes. blindly. You're acting yes. like you see things, but you can see nothing because you've got this thing yeah. in your eye that everyone around you can see, except yeah. you. You yes. can't see it. And Jesus, remember, he's yes. speaking to his disciples. He's telling them, yes. "You guys are going to have this. You need to take yes. care of each other." You're. Dude, right. when he tells them his, your brother, it's the guy sitting next to him, right? Like, right. Yeah. hey, hey, Peter, I know your, your like, <laughs> biological brother is Andrew. Uh, 
you're going to see a speck in his eye. But do you know what's ironic about that? You're blind because you have a log in your own. So the speck you think is there may not even exist at all. This is so important to think about. If you so here's the context, right? The context is Jesus telling him, first you have a log in your eye. Mm. But if you have a log in your eye and you're telling someone they have something wrong with them, what if they don't? Because you can't see anyways. What if there is no speck? What if there's nothing there? It's just that you Mm. are so overcome with uh, biases Mm. and pride and Mm. arrogance or uh, taking people based on how they look, right? Judging a book Mm. by its cover that you Mm. think something's wrong. And guess what? Nothing's wrong. What's wrong is you. You're the Mm. hypocrite, right? Having a group of people around you who are all trying to take the log out of their own eye will help Mm. you because they can actually help you see what you can't see. They can help you experience what you can't experience. And I think that's why Jesus didn't preach this to a large crowd. Yes. He spoke it to a discipleship group, to a group of 12 who would, as we know, be uh, calling out specks in each other's eyes for the next three years yeah. and pulling out logs, but that's that's why Jesus did this. And I think what you said is right. Yeah. So, you know, part of the uh, part of the way I want to wrap this up for me is yeah, that sure. uh, judgment's inevitable. Mm. It's it's inevitable. Uh, people are going to make judgments because that's how we determine everything. We make a thousand judgments every second. We need to forget. Mm this idea that judgment is a bad word. It's not a bad word. Mm. It can be a bad word depending on how we use it. And I think that's Mm. what we need to understand. Every day Mm. we're going to make a distinction between, okay, this is a good thing to do, this is not. This is a right thing to do, this is not. This is what is true, Mm. this is not. These are judgments. Mm. If we have a log sticking out of our eye because of pride or bias or arrogance or whatever it is, we can't pretend that we can see what's wrong with other people because we can't see it all. So what we need to first do is self-reflect, is come to Christ and say, you know what, maybe this isn't actually a problem. You know, maybe my brother or my uh, church mate or my office mate or my spouse, maybe Mm. it's just a preference I have and maybe it's not actually wrong. There's a Mm. difference between what I prefer and what's wrong. But how will I ever be able to determine that unless I can be able to see clearly? And how am I going to be able to see clearly unless I can pull the log out of my own eye, right? So part of judging rightly, part of judging righteously, part of making Mm. distinctions that are helpful for other people, what I like to call constructive criticism or constructive Mm. judgment, is by Mm. being able to see clearly by taking out the log of my own eye, by trying to view somebody objectively as Jesus would view them rather than with my own biases or opinions. And I have to learn how to know what are my preferences versus what does God say is true, right, and good? Because my preferences may not always align with that. And if I start making my preferences God's word, I am a hypocrite who deserves to be judged as a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. What I need to do is distinguish my judgments from my preferences. 
people are not required to obey my preferences. They're not. I cannot make judgments on people based on my preferences. What I need to do is learn what God says is right, good, and true, make judgments based on that, and then present it in the way Jesus would, which is with grace, with love, giving the benefit of the doubt, helping people to understand that I'm here to help. If there's any struggle in this, I want to help them to grow in this area. But the only way I can even begin to see clearly is to remove the log from my own eye first. So let me just say it this way. If we're going to judge, and we are, then we should spend 99% of our time judging ourselves, and 1% of the time judging others. Not because we want to be hard on ourselves, but because we want to be able to see clearly to help other people uh, receive this pearl, a pearl that will help to change their life, right? Because a speck in your eye could be the most annoying thing you've ever had in your entire life, and you don't even know how to get it out. You know, bro, I, I laugh because I'm, I mean, I'm contrasting it with, you know, we're talking about the significance of the effect of, you know, having to pull away, pull out that lag in your eye and having the community that helps you through that, you being helped and you helping others. I'm thinking of the contrast. What if there's nothing because you believe it's wrong to judge? And so you don't, you're thinking you're not making judgments, but you're actually doing it, but you are. You're, not keep, you're keeping it, you know, and and so there's no judgment being done. That means there's no there's no determination of something is something right, good, evil, you know. Then people will keep going around with that log, with you know something that being taken away from them. I just it's and thinking about within the Christian community, it's, it's hard to follow. I can't imagine following Christ with a log. I can't imagine leading other people with a log. And I think if we stop judging, then growth would be impossible. You know, it's it would be hard to see truth because we're not we're not revealing the truth because we're not we're not actually making judgments. So yeah. I'm just thinking about that and its consequences and how you know in contrast important judging is especially when doing it righteously i mean yeah. that's just the point because without it then what's what's the truth <laughs> what does it mean to be like christ what does what does it mean to love what does what does it mean to be gracious to be merciful and to be you know just live within a community yeah. what do you think about that well if you accumulate enough sawdust it will turn into a log if you allow people to keep having specks and specks and specks and specks and specks in their eye, over time, that's going to become a log. Mm. It's going to become big. A speck is already painful enough, but it never mm. stays at one. It becomes mm. two, and then three, and then ten, and then a hundred. And after a short while, you realize uh, there's a log. And this person is now mm. blind. Uh, mm. I think the important thing is to realize those who will say, do not judge, nobody practices that. It's impossible. We can't. Right. There is no one mm. who is not judging. They're just it's just mm. happening all the time. It's how we distinguish the world. It's how we make under it's how right. we understand the world. It's how we figure out 
what should I eat today, right? We're making judgments all the time. We need to learn mm -hmm. how to do it rightly. And I think those right. who might incline themselves to not, you know, not judging others, I think the reason they do that is because they've seen really harsh, arrogant, prideful judgment. And that's wrong. Mm -hmm. And we condemn that here as we speak. Yes. We yeah. condemn the arrogant, you know, quick to snap, angry judgment. That's not what Jesus mm -hmm. is talking about. What Jesus yeah. is talking about is a judgment that helps to lift someone up. A judgment right. that helps to break someone free from something that they can't get out. It's really hard to get a speck out, man. Like yourself, especially right. you don't have a mirror. At this time, mirrors probably weren't as common. Like you're you're, you're hurting mm -hmm. yourself more, right? Trying to get the speck out by doing things like putting your finger in your eye and you can't see it because it's there. Uh, mm. A speck in your eye is painful and it'll get worse. Mm. In fact, it can embed in your eye and it can cause disease. Now, right. Jesus wasn't th maybe thinking about this when he said this, but the reality is if we don't learn how to judge well and we don't take it seriously to become those who can judge well, we are going to leave people for dead. And I said this earlier, judgment is a life or death thing. If we mm. don't learn to judge well, then we're going to leave people to rot in their spiritual lives because oh, yeah. they won't know how to grow or to see things differently or to know what's true and distinguish what's false and know what's morally right and know what's morally wrong or get that speck out of their eye that they just can't overcome. We have to judge because we have to follow Jesus. And the way to follow Jesus is to learn what's good, true, and right. And the only way to do that is to make the right judgments. So I think the mm. first thing would be that people, there's no one who doesn't judge. When they say do mm. not judge, what they're really saying is, hey, don't be an angry, arrogant person who is garbage. Don't be like that. Mm. Correct, agree, wholeheartedly. But what right. if we told them, okay, judge in a way that is loving, gracious, mm. for the purpose of building mm. others up, and for the purpose of helping right. them get this thing that's hurting them out of their life. Would you do it then? I think most people would say yes. And that's the judgment Jesus is teaching to his disciples here in this Sermon on the Mount. Right. He's saying, everything you've seen the Pharisees do is hypocritical. It's arrogant. Hmm. It's out of anger. It's out of malice and deceit. Don't do that. Instead, you need to get right, and then you can help other people to lift them up also. So I think what Jesus would want us to get, what Jesus would want us to apply, is to take from this that we're all judging anyways, and we need to learn how to do it rightly. We need to get the log yeah. out. We need to become those who can do it in a way that helps, that's constructive, and that yes. builds others up so that they can flourish and so that they can grow, so that their spiritual life doesn't become a disease like a speck getting embedded deep within your eye. Yeah. Yeah, so talking about this, I just want to point this out. You know, I think this is very important because Jesus was talking to his disciples and he's talking about, you know, taking care of each other, but helping each other to take this log in their eyes. What is there is relationship. Yeah. It's very hard to come to people who don't who you do not know or you know who doesn't know you and would say, Hey, you have this. I think relationship is very important in this uh activity of judging and you know taking away the, the log from each other or respect from each other so when we judge with proper motives and with the right way of doing it 
I think relationship is also important. We have to build bridges. Yes, strengthen relationships. Because I, I remember, I, I don't, I, I saw some of your posts and I remember also joining CCF conference before uh, Josh McDowell said, it was in the context of relationships, family, discipleship, he said, truth can lead to, truth without relationship can lead to rejection. And I would say sometimes that would be true in terms of judgment, you know, when making your, your when you're making a judgment to, uh, to a friend or maybe to someone else and what if you don't have that relationship, then I think it will also, it might also lead to anger or um, rejection. So I think yeah. working through all of this, relationship is something that we also want to work at the same time, you know, spontaneously, so that we would be able to effectively help each other and be together in this journey. Yeah, I think the, uh, the context of the passage is in the context of relationship. Yes. And so there's right. no escaping this. Jesus didn't preach to a crowd. He didn't preach to one. He preached to yep. a discipleship group. And that's what they're supposed to be doing. In the context of discipleship, they should be making right judgments to build one another up yeah. so that those who are left out will be able to come to him and not be judged unrighteously so that the whole world can follow Jesus. Yeah. Judgment mm -hmm. is a salvation issue. And it's also a life mm -hmm. issue. It can lead to right. the salvation of the world and it can lead people to live a more flourishing life. And so I think to, you know, to end this episode, it'd be yeah. important just to remind people just briefly that you're right to say, uh, do not judge because most people do this. And I, I myself included in a way that's really dark in a way that hurts mm -hmm. people in a way that's for destruction rather than construction it's destructive not constructive it tears people down it doesn't build people up but judgment mm. if you're a follower of jesus is meant to be a thing that is used like a pearl a great pearl mm. that you give to someone and they can take that and cherish it and it grows it increases in value over time and eventually it becomes mm. that thing that you look at you set it on yourself and you say this is something that's mine this is something that is great it's beautiful it's good uh, judgment can be like that. It can be like a thing that helps someone to live a better life, to change a bad habit, uh, to come to Jesus because they thought they'd been rejected for so long, but we're able to show them what's true, right, and good. So my recommendation is, as best you can, try not to say, do not judge. Instead, change your phrase to tell people, judge rightly. Judge as God would judge judge in a way that is good instead of do not judge right so i think we all have discussed important matters have clarified the context we have now know what it means what jesus is trying to teach us thank you so much everyone for tuning in i hope that you have learned again something or maybe if you have some questions just pm us and we're excited for the next episode. See you once again. Thank you, Brother Kyle, for coming. And just like what we always say, keep thinking.